Does someone have a watch I could put on the podium? It's in your best interest to give me a watch. Thank you. Uh, if you don't give me a watch, then we could be here till Father's Day dinner. Happy Father's Day. Um, that's going to be it from me. I don't have a really other good Father's Day tie-in. So just how many of you are fathers? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Um, you're good to go? All right. Well, you know, let's just open in prayer. Um, but Heavenly Father, we are here, um, and unlike you, we cannot be other places. We're, our bodies are here. And Lord, our bodies have limits. We, um, uh, we can't even be with other people right now. We can't attend to the problems. In fact, there's many things in our lives that we don't feel like we have control over. Well, we're here right now, and we can't address those. In fact, only you, God, can meet all the needs around us. And so, Lord, we do that. We just, we're going to let you be God as we present ourselves to you today. So, Lord, take all those things that we cannot deal with, and even if we could deal with them, we probably couldn't solve them. And so, Lord, you be God. And secondly, Lord, we also just um, want to find our uh, salvation completely in you. And many of us come in here with things we're good at, um, or roles that we have, but we want to say, Lord, that we are not even primarily any of those things. We are not primarily mothers or even fathers. Uh, we're not um, primarily students. We're not first students or first teachers. Uh, Lord, we are not any of the qualities at root that we think we have, which is we're not just our kindness or our um, goodness. Uh, Lord, we're not even... Some of the bad qualities we've associated with us were not our anger or our impatience. Um, we're not how much money we make. And we just come to you, Lord, knowing and, and wanting to confess that we don't want to find our salvation in any of these things. We want to find it in you. And Lord, finally, we just want to present ourselves to you and know that our, in our deepest place, we are your beloved. We are your children. That is who we are. And you hold us in an eternal embrace. And so, Lord, we just want to begin this morning... Uh, acknowledging that. And we present ourselves to you as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome. My name is uh, Todd Pickett. For those of you who haven't met me, uh, another Todd, I know that's confusing. Uh, I was going to change my name for this morning, but I thought that would be more confusing. Um, there's Todd Hunter, there's Todd Proctor. Um, I'm Todd Pickett. I live about 10 minutes away, so it's been great for us to find uh, a church nearby. And uh, and I, my day job is I'm the um, Dean of Spiritual Development at Biola University, and I've been there for 14 years, professor of English, and, and I teach some theology too. Uh, and today's passages, if you have your uh, readings with you, are really passages that call us in several places to return to Jesus and return to the cross. These are all passages in one way or another that are asking us to remember uh, that Jesus is the answer. Now, you, some of you probably heard the joke about the, the young boy who's in Sunday school, and he's, um, uh, he's, he's a good Sunday school kid. He knows the answers, and the uh, teacher gets up and says, uh, asks an opening question. There, it's a young class, and so the question, again, you probably know this, is, uh, okay, what is little and brown and likes acorns and has a furry tail and crawls around in trees? 
And the little boy who's a good Sunday school kid is thinking hard, and he's a little bit divided, but he finally says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I think the right answer is Jesus. (laughs) Well, it is a squirrel in that case, but of course, he's also right. The right answer is Jesus. And our New Testament passages today are trying to just remind us of that, trying to remind us of the centrality of the cross and Jesus in our lives. And that's good for two reasons. I tell you, it's good for the world that we're being reminded of Jesus. Because the world sometimes gets confused about us Christians. They begin to think that it's all about morality. In fact, uh, if you've read um, uh, Kinnaman's book called Unchristian, where he does a survey of what people think of Christians, their primary, primary first thoughts are judgmental and hypocritical. Now, again, I think there's some strong misperceptions there to which we're not responsible, but their view necessarily is that the Christians think it's all about right and wrong and about judgment, not necessarily about Jesus. So it's really good for them, for us to be reminded that this is finally about Jesus really good for the world to see that in us. Secondly, it's good for us to remind it it's about Jesus. Because we did not primarily use Jesus just for our conversion. In fact, we need him for our ongoing lives. We need his cross not just when we became Christians, but we need his cross as the bedrock to our entire lives. James Wilhoyt, um, a guy that's written a book called Spiritual Formation, as if the church mattered, says this, Returning to the cross in awareness of our sin, rebellion, and brokenness is the bedrock of our spiritual formation, is the bedrock of our growth. The cross is not just a doctrine of our salvation. In fact, somehow, it's the doctrine of our growth as well. And he'll actually make this bold statement, and wow, we could really talk about this for a while. I mean, this, is, this is a pretty bold statement. All of our spiritual problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. All of our spiritual problems at some point are maybe because we just haven't quite taken in as deeply as we, have, as we need to the truth of Christ and his cross. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. So returning us to Jesus this morning, these passages, wow, that is so good for us. Because this is for us and it's for the world. And we need to be reminded of this. Now I say return to the cross this morning because... because What is it that would actually take us away from the cross of Christ? I mean, why do Christians have to be reminded? I mean, after all, we're called Christians, Christians, (laughs) right? That was the, that's how we got the word, right? We got the word because people were making fun of Christians early on, right? It's like if you were, if you were a Ronald Reagan fan, you'd be called a Reaganite. And it wasn't necessarily meant to be a, a good term. It was kind of mocking you. Well, the first Christians were called Christians, So they were kind of being mocked a little bit. And we said, well, bring it on. (laughs) We want to be associated with Jesus Christ. So we'll take that word. We'll be Christians. That's who we want to be. So how is it, why do we have to be sometimes reminded that this is about Christ? What what lures us sometimes away as Christians? I mean, we're serious people. You're here this morning because you are a serious believer. You want to grow in Christ. So why is it sometimes that we get lured away. And what do we get lured away to? What is the great temptation for serious Christians like you and me? Well, let me suggest to you, at least in today's passage, we're going to be kind of camping in Galatians, in the Galatians 3 passage. Let me suggest to you the temptation, one of the great temptations for Christians, is our own moral success. 
as we became Christians, even though we became Christians knowing that, that we had brought nothing of goodness in us. Nevertheless, at some point, sometimes we get lured back into the notion that this is really about our own success, our own success at being Christians, about our own goodness. This morning, Paul is going to try to help the Galatians who are having this problem. The Galatians have kind of gotten wooed away from the center, from Christ. He's going to try and help them understand what is the relationship of your faith to the law, to right and wrong, to morality, because he's saying, you know, what I see in you is you're kind of, you've kind of lost the center, and you're being pulled toward the law, toward right and wrong, toward morality as the center rather than the fruit of your faith. And so he'll say in our passage, he says, the law is a tutor to lead you to Christ. Wow, that's cool. The law is, is good, but it's this kind of tutor. It's this kind of thing that will now lead you to Jesus because he has to be the center. And so to really understand our Galatians passage today and understand what the Galatians are going to, we're going to have to actually go back to Galatians 3. So, uh, Paul, I don't know if you can do the next slide. Um, Galatians 3 reads this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So I want to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Wow, this is, Paul's being pretty hard on them. <laughs> um, you foolish Galatians. Something's going on in Galatia that has kind of, of uh, obscured and, 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 and messed up their thinking. He says, you foolish Galatians, what happened? What's bewitched you? He kind of says, it's like you're under a spell. Something's bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. He says, when I was with you, we talked all about this. We talked about Jesus as the center. We talked about the fact of his crucifixion. We talked about the fact that you were justified by faith, that you have forgiveness of sins. We went over this. This was why you came to Jesus. Now, what has happened? Of course, Paul is writing to a, a series of churches in Galatia, what is now Turkey, okay? And he's been there, so he's now left, and apparently he's gotten some reports that their thinking has gone kind of crazy. So he says, who has bewitched you? Jesus Christ was clearly what we talked about as a senator. And then he goes on to say, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Because you receive the Spirit now. You know the Spirit lives in you, and the Spirit was given you because God can now live in you. It's a sign of your complete acceptance in him. God actually lives inside you. And he does that because he completely loves and accepts you. Other places were talked about the, the Spirit as the seal of Christ's work on us, of, Christ, of the atonement on us. So he said, now, did you get that Spirit by really trying to work hard, by really trying to be good? Is that how you got the Spirit? He says, no, you didn't get the Spirit by being good. You got the Spirit because you believed that Christ loved you and died for your sins, and the Spirit's been put in you. That's how you got the Spirit. So he says, why are you being so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, why are you trying to complete it in the flesh? In other words, there was something happening in Galatia where they had now kind of slid. They'd slid back into some kind of mentality where it says, I've got to be good to stay approved by God. I've got to somehow use my, what Paul calls the flesh, which in this case is kind of good works apart from God. They've somehow gotten this mode where, okay, I know I was saved by Christ, but I've got to keep doing good in order to be accepted. So what was happening in Galatia? Well, a little bit of history here. 
What was happening in Galatia was that there were these people called the Judaizers. And Paul would go to these towns, and he would go and preach. He'd talk to the churches, and he'd preach the gospel, and X number of people would believe, and they'd form a church. And then these Judaizers would come in. These Jewish Christians would come in afterwards, and they would come in, and they would say, you know, Paul was right. He says, Paul was right. Jesus is the Messiah, and he died for your sins on the cross. But he said, they said, what you still need to do, though, is you still need to keep the law, the various Jewish laws, in order to be approved by God, in order to stay in the covenant. So yeah, he was right. Christ died for your sins. But in order to kind of stay in the covenant, in order to stay approved, you have to really work hard. You have to be good. Well, this was craziness to Paul. He says, wow, this really upends. That's like starting with Jesus, but ending apart from him. That's like being converted through faith in Jesus, but growing apart from him. I like Eugene Peterson's translation on the next slide. Yeah, Eugene Peterson, of course, translated the message. Um, and he says, here's his translation. That's me, actually. Let's go back a slide. <laughs> we'll talk about me later. Um, there we go. Um, oh, let's go one more. One more, one back. Okay. You crazy Galatians is how uh, the Apostle Paul, how, how Peterson um, uh, translates this. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? <laughs> did someone actually, you know, kind of uh, hypnotize you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus clear in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. He says, we talked about this. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Think about this. Was it by working your heads off to please God? Was that how, was that how you got the Spirit? Was that how? He says, no. Or was it by responding to God's message to you, God's message of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. In other words, as you're trying to grow, if you're growing apart from the Spirit, apart from rooted in the cross of Christ, he says that's craziness. To try and grow in the Spirit what you could only attain by um, the cross. So what's the, what's the seduction here? What, why is it that the Galatians, and I was just you and me too, why is it you and me sometimes kind of do the slide in our Christian life? Having come to Christ, believing in his love for us, we kind of start sliding back into kind of a moralism rather than a Christianity. Well, I'll, 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 I'll say this. That you and I, that all of us, struggle with a great secret. And this is our secret. We have a burden. And the burden is a failure. <laughs> you and I, probably on a regular basis, are experiencing various kinds of failure. Um, we experience relational failures. We experience not being good enough, or smart enough, or athletic enough. Um, we experience um, rejection from people. We think, ah, oh, yeah, I should be here in my life, but I'm just here. And then, of course, we experience spiritual failures. Ah, oh, I just can't love this person. Or I'm just so inconsistent in my prayer time. Or, you know, I should be more mature, but I'm, I'm just here. I'm not where I thought I should be. And you we all experience almost on a daily basis. I mean, if you're at all self-conscious, self-aware, on a daily basis, we're kind of faced with ourselves. We're faced with ourselves. 
That's why when I'm at the doctor's office, I want to do anything but think my own thoughts. I will read any magazine. <laughs> I, will read, I will get into anyone else's conscious rather than my own. I'll be at the breakfast table. I will read the back of the cereal box <laughs> rather than <laughs> engage in any kind of self-awareness at that moment because I'm often faced with just myself. And so the secret burden, of course, as we're still kind of fallen people, we're Christians, God loves us, God holds us, but as fallen people, as people in process, you and I are all still struggling with a sense of our either sin or even just our personal limits. We can't do it all. We can't do it all. We're not good enough. Well, that's normal. That's normal. It's normal to feel... To, it's normal to fail. It's normal to feel incomplete. It's normal to feel broken because that's, we're in process. But here's what we do. We cover and hide. Our first impulse when we become aware of our brokenness and sin is we cover and hide. Because we don't want to be aware of it, and we don't want other people to be aware of it. Now, we all learn this early on automatically, right? Almost before we can become self-aware, we all learn how to cover and hide. Um, early on, we all discover the things we're kind of good at, okay? Whether it's athletics, or being funny, or academics. We all kind of find our niche early on, um, and, we, and, and that's probably good. That is a part of us that is really good. Some part of us that God has gifted us or have special abilities. But our tendency is going to want to take that and to shove our whole selves into it because we sense, well, this is an area I'm good at, and so I think I'll use that area to cover and hide. I think I'll use that area to I'll become that whole thing. So for me, um, I remember one night I was in junior high, and I was lying in my bed, and I was thinking, and I don't know why it happened that day, but I suddenly became aware of myself <laughs> and that uh, I wasn't much of anything yet at the age of 14 or something. And I, it just struck me like a ton of bricks, and I thought, I have got to do something with my life. And so I sat up in bed, and the best thing I could think of at age 14 was, I need to run for student government. And so I ran for student government. And Now, I, I, there are parts of me that are, that are, I mean, I probably need to be in some leadership positions. There are parts of me that's wired for that. But there's also part of me that was looking for salvation in that. I need to find something I'm good at to take my brokenness and stick it in and cover me. Um, basketball was another one, and here we can go to the next slide, Paul. Uh, basketball was another thing where I, w I used to cover and hide. That actually is me, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, I should put glasses on there. No, it still doesn't work. Um, yeah, that's actually me. <laughs> the referee. No. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm... That's so sad which one. I don't look anything like I did. Um, I'm, I'm the one blocking the shot. Okay, I'm the one trying to block the shot. I do want you to appreciate the vertical lift there. Would you please? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Still... still yeah. It is not Photoshop. Look, I... <laughs> And look, that's not even the bottom. I mean, the bottom's down here, right? That's the... All right, enough of that, enough of that. But yeah, basketball became this thing that I was pretty good at, believe it or not. Became this thing I was pretty good at, and, I, and that was good. That is good. That's a blessing. But you know, I couldn't wait to get out on the court because the court is where I could cover and hide. The court is where I could stick all of my stuff in there. Something I was good at, some way to be good. I wanted to be good. I didn't want to have to face my limitations and my failures. I just wanted to be good at something. So I tried to shove my whole self in there. 
And that's why, of course, you have athletes that after high school, when they don't go college or pro, they have these identity crises. Because it's been all about being athletic, or all about being funny, or all about being successful. And the pressure to find our salvation in one of these things to cover it. And, of course, we shouldn't be surprised Adam and Eve did the same thing, right? What's the first movement after they became aware of their brokenness? What are the two things they do? They cover and hide. It's universal. You and I, from the moment that we realize our sin and our brokenness, we are trying in one way or another to cover and hide it. And we find these ways to do it. Now what happens is we become Christians and we realize, oh my gosh, I don't have to cover and hide anymore. God knows me. He sees my sin and he says, you know, I have given you Christ's righteousness. I want you to take your sin and put it on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness put it on you. And I see your stuff. I don't blind myself to your stuff. But I love you. No more need to cover and hide. In fact, bring that stuff out and let's talk about it. <laughs> bring out your insecurities and, and be reminded that I love you. Bring out your sin and let's, let's try to heal it. Bring out your stuff. There's no need to cover and hide. And so as Christians, we come to the cross and we go, that is so good. That's why we're here. Well, that's cool. But then something happens. And after a little while, because we have such habits of covering and hiding our whole life, after a while, we begin to say, hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this Christian faith stuff. I've learned a lot about the Bible. I'm going to church. I'm in leadership. And we begin to feel our own competence again. And, and people praise us. And we begin to kind of slide and think. We don't think. We just feel it. Wow, another way to cover and hide. <laughs> but now for the Christian, the great temptation is to cover and hide with forms of my own goodness. If I can just keep being good, if I can just keep being good, keep doing good things, I can cover and hide this feeling of brokenness. And so we start covering and hiding again. And we stop going to the cross to experience that love and forgiveness for wherever we're at, and we start subtly, except now it's spiritual. Okay, so now it's like legitimate. And we're covering and hiding, and we're working very, very hard to be good. Because now suddenly again, our salvation rests on this. Well, this is a natural human thing to do, to want to hide our sin. Now, we do get some help from people around us, right? I mean, I sent my, my kids here this morning. I sent my kids to Christian school. And, you know, that, I love that. That was a good decision. It was a great school. It was a good place for them to go because they need to learn the will of God and they need to experience that tradition in their education. It was so good. But here's one thing that, they're not, that Christian schools and other, and other institutions like the church struggle with is they primarily kind of praise people for being good. I mean, how could you not? You want to praise people for being good, right? So, you know, kids in school, Christian school, they, they come up and, you know, there's a scrubble, there's a squabble. What's a squabble? There's a scuffle. <laughs> um, two kids get in a fight and, and they say, um, okay, uh, Jamie, you need to forgive John. And, and they go through this thing of forgiveness, which is good. It's good for them to go through the discipline of forgiveness. They go through it. And they get praise. It's, that's so good. That is so good. Well, meanwhile, Jamie in her heart is still saying, I hate John still. <laughs> I hate John. But yeah, I'll go through this thing. And it is good for them to go through that. They need to go through the spiritual discipline of forgiveness. But in their heart, but what they get praised for is going through it. But inside, Jamie's still like, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. But Jamie doesn't feel quite permitted to bring that part of her out because she's getting praise for being good. And so the child doesn't know what to do with that part of me that I hate this person. And so while God is saying, come to the cross, come back with your sin, just open up, no need to cover and hide, we are 
but we tend to slip back, cover, and hide because, you know, I'm getting praise for being good. And I'd rather have that. In fact, I'd rather stand on my own two feet and be good than have to go back to the cross in my need every day. I'd rather do that. Well, this is what the Galatians are experiencing. They're experiencing the slide, kind of back into the law, back into the law as a way to find salvation, back into what we might call, my friend John Coe calls, moral formation. <laughs> as opposed to spiritual formation, they've slid back into moral formation. And moral formation is simply trying to keep practicing the law in order to find my salvation. And here, here's one way you'd, you'd know, by the way, if you're a moral formationist. Here's one test. Here's one test if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you slid into moral formation. Is if when you become aware of your failure, that moment, it's either in church when somebody's preaching, you go, oh, I need to do better at prayer. I need to do better at this. Or, or even just a personal limitation. Whenever you suddenly become aware of your failure, your first and abiding thought, your first and abiding thought is, I need to be better. I need to be better. Darn it. Dang it. Now, that's, what, that's normal as a first thought. But if your abiding thought is, okay, I'm going to just get better. I'll get better. Because I can't stand this feeling of my brokenness. I'll get better. Well, then you're a moral formationist. <laughs> you're more. In fact, you might be like me, a list maker. Right? You sense a personal limitation. You sense sin. I will now make a list. I will make a list of things I will do. And I already feel better. I haven't done any of them yet. But I already feel better. Because <laughs> I am going to be good in the future. Well, you know what that does? That kind of goes around the cross, doesn't it? It goes right from a sense of my failure to I'm going to get better. And suddenly I am using the law or morality or whatever version of success I am to feel better, to get good. While Jesus all the time is saying, go through the cross first. There is repentance. There are things to do. There are things we must do. The law is good. The law is the expression of God's will. The law is what we should be doing. But you need to go through the cross every time. Why would that be? Well, there's a big difference between works of law and works of faith. In works of law, I sit there and go, I've got to be better. And now I feel pressure. Okay, I've got to be better and I start to get self-absorbed in my own progress. And I start to get angry at people around me who aren't cooperating, <laughs> who are making me look bad. And I start to hide and cover. And I begin to feel all the pressure and all the, all the stress of hiding and covering. Well, that is far different than this scenario. Wow, Lord. There I did it again. I got angry at my kids. Or there I did it again. I got, um, there I'm, there's that old addiction again. Well, Lord, I want to fly to the cross. I need you. <laughs> I needed you at conversion, but I still need you. Lord, I need you. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Lord, do you, do you still love me? There may even have to be a conversation there, right? Lord, Lord, I'm so aware of my sin yet. I should be older. I should be better than this. I've been a Christian for X number of years. Lord, do you, does the cross still apply today? Do you still love me today? Well, you know what that is? First of all, what's good about that is humility. <laughs> See, if, if self-knowledge leads you to anger and depression or despair, then you've misunderstood self-knowledge. No, self-knowledge should lead to humility. Wow, Lord, I need you. <laughs> I still need you. I still need the cross. So that's the first good move of going to the cross, humility. Wow. 
And the second thing is you get to re-experience his love. You get to re-experience the gospel. We don't need to keep that up there, by the way. <laughs> maybe go back one. <laughs> or back two, maybe. I'll do back away. <laughs> I appreciate that, though. That's, I, hope you're, I know you've all been marveling at the vertical lift. Um, but we get to re-experience, we get to re-experience the gospel every time. We get to re-experience his forgiveness. We go to him. So humility, forgiveness, and then strangely, a release from self-absorption. Now my spiritual formation is where I am kind of receiving the gospel again. And you know what? The world needs the gospel. And so I'm moving out into my life, imperfect as it is, with the gospel in my heart. I've experienced that day Jesus loves me. Even in my, all my stuff, he still loves me. Now, obedience is always non-negotiable. Let me be clear about that. The will of God is the will of God. The law is good. But the law cannot change us. And if you hear nothing else this morning, that's what you need. The law will not change us. Only love changes us. We need to be loved into loving people. We need to be loved into love. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, Return to the cross. Return to the atonement. And maybe one practical way you could think of this is, again, I love our liturgy. I love that we go every week and we do the confession of sin. Because every week you have this moment. I mean, if you're at all paying attention, you have this moment where you are asked to confront your shortcomings, your sin. (laughs) Remember the three categories in thought, things you've been thinking, in word, and in deed. And the fourth one, in things you left undone. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Especially the things I've left undone one. Every week we returns us to what we, to our sin. Well, you know what that is? That is an opportunity to revisit the cross. That's an opportunity to go, Lord, I need you. Lord, the cross is the center. The atonement is for today, not just for conversion. I've always, I always love 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that always confused me, though. Because it seems to say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. As if to say, what if I forget to confess my sins? Am I still forgiven? If we confess our sins. But then I realize, no, that's not the sense of it at all. The sense of it is, if we should happen on any given Sunday, like you, do to, like you will today in a few minutes, confess our sins, that atonement is always there. He is faithful. That atonement is always there for you to re-experience. We receive it once. Right? We receive the fact of the atonement once, but we can re-experience it every time. So if you, at any given time, decide to confront the self-knowledge, to confront your limitations, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because the atonement's always there. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to once again apply the gospel to us. Wow, what a cool thing you get to do in your self-knowledge. Again, your tendency is going to be, I want to get better. And there will be repentance. There will be things you need to do. But we need to go through the cross. And it's sobering when Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, if you decide to go back to the law, he says, Christ will be, this is Galatians 5.1, Christ, listen to this, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Wow. He says, if that's the way you want to live, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. So this morning, as we say the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed, um, this morning, What we're doing is we're saying again, I want to return to the fact of the atonement. I don't want to be a Christian moralist. I want to be a Christian. And so, Lord, I take all that I am today. I give it to you. 
Thank you that you love me again. Fill me with that love that I might love others. Um, Lord, I want to be rooted in the cross. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com. Thank you.